Today I want to talk about why Western civilization is irreparably falling apart. And we are past the point of no return. That's the purpose of me saying it's irreparable. And uh, I do want to connect this to a couple of things from actually Korean history, uh, which I'm pretty familiar with. And so let's go into this. Um, I want to talk first about what is history exactly, not in terms of what has happened, but who writes history. In other words, should we always trust the experts? And the more I study history by myself, the more I look into both secondary sources, which is what the academics write, and primary sources, which is actual archeologically significant texts and objects. The more I look at this, the more I realize that a lot of history is not done well. And indeed, if you wanna know anything, anything out there, you wanna look at the primary sources. If you rely on people's secondary source opinions, you don't know what kind of biases or agendas or other sorts of misdirection that you'll absorb and you'll be completely defenseless against this. So when I say, when I talk about history and I ask, should we always trust the experts? The answer is no. In fact, I would not trust any expert I would look at the primary source, I would go ahead and then look at people's opinions as informative, as useful. Specifically, I want to talk about the nature of academics. Academics is essentially its own kind of cult. And that seems rather harsh, but you want to think about how academics actually works. It is prestigious. There is a lot of money connected to it, but this does not make it any more truthful than what I'm doing here. So how does this all work? Let's look at this from a organizational point of view. When we examine how the university is funded, we have to understand that this money does come from somewhere. A lot of the research is funded by the state. And the state is going to give money, not recklessly, not without bias, but in order to push a certain kind of understanding. So even the topics that, is, that are chosen are going to be of a particular kind of concern. So think about all the money that is spent on certain kinds of history or on certain kinds of development, scientific, and not others. So I think there's a very important questions regarding certain uh, issues such as uh, the history of the Joseon dynasty, what really worked, what didn't. 
we can look more into Confucianism as a source of political solutions, as solutions for our society, as for our culture. But very little of that is being funded. What's being funded is research into China so that we can continue um, various geopolitical relations or not with a growing hegemon. We can look into um, some questions regarding sexuality, modern forms of sexuality, rather than examining how traditional families could have worked in the past, or rather looking at, for example, the importance of chastity. Very few research dollars, if any, it goes into those. And whenever there are publications or findings, it's not discussed by the professors at these universities. And this is something else. Who is hired at these places? The people who are hired are going to be palatable to the paradigms of the wealthy, the people who are funding the universities. So it's all stacked against you. You can't understand things. This is why I don't re-enter academics and I don't think I ever will. It's because all of that is set up to push forward a certain understanding of, a, of life that is false. And you find this in uh, what they say about history, about what they say about philosophy, about what they say about economics, about the kind of biology research that is done, about the kind of psychological research that is done. Um, you could say, you know, chemistry and physics, that's, that's untouched and that's untouched for a reason because they actually need what they, uh, they actually need the products of this research to actually work. So you actually need your energy sources to work. Uh, you actually need your weaponry to work. So they're going to actually be honest to a larger degree, but even here, there's going to be some degree of corruption because when you're thinking about something like a battery and the environmental impact of such batteries, such as uh, green vehicles, then they do have a, a, a reason if they want to push this forward, they have a reason to essentially push away research that shows the environmental destructiveness of such technologies while putting a lot of research into questions that are essentially loaded that will prove that, and I mean prove as not absolutely prove, but provide evidence for, that will prove that the, um, that these technologies will be helpful or productive. So even here, there's not going to be full honesty. So I, I am heavily skeptical of anything that comes out of academics. And I know this for certain because every time I read a secondary source about the Joseon dynasty, I find that the analysis is extremely poor and is very dismissive. And so I, one of the purposes behind this talk today is to in a sense, rehabilitate the reputation of the Joseon dynasty. So regarding this question of history, should we really trust the experts? The answer is no, and you really shouldn't. Not 
because they're in academics, not because they're in academia. I think having a doctorate doesn't really mean all that much. And being a professor certainly doesn't mean all that much. I think Korean history is going to be very useful even if you are not particularly interested in Korea. If you live in the West, this is going to give you a lot of insights. It's going to function as a mirror to seeing what's going on, what has happened in the past, and what has gone wrong in the past. So today we have essentially global colonization. Uh, there has been colonization before, of course, when we're thinking about, say, the British Empire or the French Empire. This is not the same sort of thing because the kind of colonization that happens today is not about territory and direct control over the state of these different areas. What we're talking about is heavy influence into culture and finances as an indirect way to close the possibility of the various possibilities of action for that state. So if if you look at who is promoted, this is this is a central question that I've been getting at is that who is promoted? That's selective. It's not spontaneous. You don't simply have a lot of talent and then you're recognized by everyone. This is not how fame works, at least not today. Because there's a lot of money going behind this. I know this because I've been trying to promote various ideas that were in fact mainstream long ago in the past. They are indeed useful now, but people's mentalities are so narrow and locked into certain very small ways of thinking that if I try to approach them with this, if I don't talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, live, it's very difficult to promote these ideas because you need a lot of money to advertise, to market, and to reach out, to repeat the same message again and again and again, to give nice little pictures that convey that message, make it look attractive. That's how you promote ideas today. And the people who speak those ideas, that's who's promoted. So if you're looking at, say, the modern situation, if you look at Korean groups in South Korea that are promoted, like, for example, Blackpink, you'll notice that the, what they encourage is a certain way of life that is that exists to perpetuate certain behavior that makes the wealthy wealthier. If you're looking at um, Korean Americans, what I find here is that uh, the people in high positions, uh, people who become astronauts, people who become professors at Ivy League institutions, what you find is a fatherlessness that's common. Whether it's a literal fatherlessness or more of a metaphorical fatherlessness, uh, for example, there is this woman being promoted as a rapper, and um, if you look at her Wikipedia article, it says that she's trying to struggle against the 
the uh, ways of the past essentially uh, I don't I don't have this in front of me exactly uh, but she's struggling against the ways of the past she is fighting against this uh, Korean traditional respect for hierarchy right this this woman was born in New York she, she doesn't have any anything to do with this this is not her experience this is uh, certainly not part of her daily life why is this person being selected out as a way to get to essentially snub the past a past that doesn't even exist in South Korea so you can you can look at some of these things here um, if you look at um, I'll put in I'll put in the uh, a note here but there's this uh, YouTube channel it's, it's pretty humorous um, it's, it's by the South Korean guy it has subtitles and it really shows you how um, how modern South Korean culture is. It's essentially not any different from what's going on in coastal America. It really isn't. This is really the same thing. You know, you have these husbands who are hiding uh, things from their wife, not because it's actually wrong what they're doing, but it's stuff like they play video games and they're trying to hide it from their wives uh, because they fear their wife because the wife is the one who really calls a shot in the in the family. Um, so there's nothing at all, whether we're talking about South Korea or we're talking about Koreans in America, nothing at all that is traditional, that is hierarchical, anything of the sort. So it's really quite ridiculous. And it's, it's interesting because there's clearly some kind of message that is being perpetuated, propagated. So what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, the Joseon Golden Age now. I want to talk about the, the golden age of Joseon and just quickly go through it. I want to talk about King Sejong um, because he is still the most beloved king in Korean history. He did invent the Korean alphabet. It's a perf perfectly phonetic alphabet. If you, obviously if you're listening, you know English and you've seen the English alphabet, um, it's this alphabet historically is not invented for English. It's been adapted, so it doesn't quite work. But the Korean alphabet really does work. It works perfectly. And furthermore, it's really easy to pick up because the shape of the vowels and the consonants does intuitively mimic what happens with your mouth as you make those sounds. So it's a great language. You can really pick it up in a day. And uh, even if you're a little slower, um, Linguistically, you can still pick it up within a week. You can certainly pick this up if you already understand Korean. But you could adapt this language to other other languages as well. And that's actually been done recently. So uh, this is why Sejong is famous. But if you actually look at his reign, it's not the, the invention of this language has during his lifetime very little impact on how things are why is his reign the golden age it's the golden age because there's two great developments categories of great developments one is material the other one is immaterial uh, not to mean not significant but intangible i should put that i should say that instead so there's a lot of material development uh, there's the development of uh, these farming manuals that are disseminated, there's printing press, 
technological advancement. In order to do that, there is uh, medicine manuals. Uh, if you want to count this, he did take 12 years to reform the tax code, so it would be fair because not everybody has the same land that's equally fertile. And so he, he spends all this time ensuring for the material improvement of his people. But that's not the only thing he does. He also improves the culture. And there are various ways in which he does this. He takes the already existing um, ceremonies, for example, getting uh, married, um, uh, funerals, and he uses moral philosophy, which is primary going to, primarily going to be Ru, in other words, Confucian, and he's going to apply that to reform these ceremonies and rituals. So that's that is, if you are acquainted with Ru philosophy, very important because these ceremonies and rituals symbolize what's important about these moments in life and life itself. So your marriage ceremony should reflect the intimacy between husband and wife and the lifelong nature of marriage. Your funerals should reflect the importance of life itself and not simply be a way to dispose of the corpse. So this is all very important. Conf um, Confucianism is insists that music is also very integral to culture. And so Sejong is, uh, has all these projects going on where he has musicians um, create and reform musical instruments so that the purity of the tones, of the purity of the notes, are in accordance with human spirituality, uh, with human goodness. Can, uh, Sejong also um, makes sure that a lot of the, the folk music is recorded onto paper. And he is also taking some of this music and integrating it into the ceremonies by reforming it. So there's a lot of cultural reformation. One of the things that happens is that there are there's this text that translates into the three fundamental relations. And this text is something that um, is contains a lot of these stories about, about exemplary husbands, uh, exemplary wives, exemplary children and exemplary subjects. So it mostly focuses, however, on, uh, I mean, obviously there's a discussion on uh, fathers and kings, but it mostly focuses on the subordinate position, right? So wives instead of husbands, uh, subjects instead of lords, uh, sons and daughters instead of the parents. Because one of the underlying ideas is that to be a good husband, to be a good lord, to be a good father actually more or less comes far more naturally than being a good son, than being a good daughter, than being a good wife, than being a good subject. Because that's the understanding of human nature that you find. And I think this is borne out. It is actually more difficult to be a good, a loving son than to be a loving father. It is much difficult to be a loving um, a daughter than to be a loving mother. If you're a parent, it comes naturally. If you're, if you're the offspring, you have to remind yourself to be good. 
So I think this is excellent. And um, the, the, the stories can be very dramatic in the way that a lot of our romance stories are dramatic. If you uh, have ever watched James Cameron's Titanic, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, he dies at the end. Um, and, you know, we don't look at this and say, oh, this is so awful. You know, this is this society abuses men. Uh, we just think this is romantic. And um, it's the same thing. So you have somewhat severe stories. There might be stories about women who would rather starve rather than getting remarried. And, um, you know, that's if, if you think there's something wrong with that, I want to ask you, you know, to think that might be something wrong with the ending of Titanic. So anyways, King Sejong um, has this, these uh, stories published under a single text. And this is a project that, uh, you know, I'm, a lot of his achievements actually go back to his father, King Taejong. Um, but King Taejong is a bit more controversial because he came to power during great political instability and it's his, um, it's Taejong's father, Taejo, who is the founder. So when you found a dynasty, everything is chaotic, nothing is quite settled. Um, so there's a lot of problems that are addressed. By the time King Sejong is on the throne, King Taejong has already s stabilized everything. But a lot of stability can come at the cost of blood. Uh, this is not the focus of this uh, topic today. I'm happy to go into Korean history some other time, much later, uh, into detail like this. But I just want to talk about Sejong's accomplishments. One of the other things he, that he does is that he publishes the laws. Actually, most Confucian scholars, um, most Confucian dynasties have not done this because the idea is that you're supposed to just be a good person. You're not supposed to look at the law and say what you can get away with. So they don't publish it. They only bring out the law, the written law, when you do get into trouble and it's clear you've done something wrong. And then they give you the appropriately prescribed punishment. And punishment back then, uh, we didn't, you know, um, they didn't jail people. We jail people and we jail people for 10, 20 years at a time. And during this time, they're, 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 soul becomes more and more corrupt typically because of their experiences, because of whom they meet. Uh, back in these days, they would publicly flog you, publicly whip you or hit you with a heavy bamboo. Um, and that would be painful and it would cause suffering. So it would be a punishment. But at the same time, you didn't cripple a person spiritually for the rest of their life. So things were more humane back then. I think we should bring back you know, if you want to go European with this, you can bring back the stocks, right? Public embarrassment. So that would really cut down on people pretending they're, you know, a tough thug and having some pride of it. Because if you're just embarrassed publicly, people will laugh at you. Nobody's going to give you street cred at that point. Um, nobody with us. Yeah, nobody is going to. I mean, you'll just be a laughing stock. And that's where probably the term comes from. So... Um, you notice that among his accomplishments, a lot has to do with reading. And that's why King Sejong wanted to invent this language so that people would read, be able to read overnight, even if they were a simple commoner. Because uh, up till then, uh, the Korean people 
used Chinese to write, and there was a kind of simplified script, but still difficult to learn. So, so this is really a, a blessing, a huge blessing. So people can read overnight, but Sejong, if you look at his overall reign, he was concerned with the people's material develop, uh, material uh, well-being, certainly, but he was also deeply concerned with their spiritual cultivation, their morality, their righteousness. And this is one reason why I think that the West is doomed to fail irretrievably, because we are no longer about morality. We are no longer about core morality. We are no longer about these relationships that are fundamental to the human experience. The three fundamental relationships, the three fundamental bonds that human beings are born into, should have, and make human beings happy. Parent and child, husband and wife, lord and subject. Those are integral. If there is chaos in any one of these three domains of human life, there is intense suffering, there is sadness, there's malaise, because these are at the core of, of what a human being is. So King Sejong wants to rectify the situation. If you look at the timing of his life, he had to once preside over a trial in which a man killed his own father. And he sighs, this is in the, in the, in the records, he sighs and he says, how low my own virtue must be for my subjects to do this. So already here you see that there's this personal responsibility that a Lord feels for his servants or his subjects. We look at our politicians, they don't, they don't do that. They just rant against particular groups. Now, those particular groups may deserve criticism, but there is no personal accountability. They don't look at themselves and say, my virtue is low. That's why these people who I'm responsible are also low. Because our system, of course, is not really set up to do that. So I'm not a big fan of republicanism for this reason and you could look and look at all my arguments there's a book that i'm publishing uh, it's called against false Dows. and i hope that you can go ahead and grab a copy this would help of course uh, help me support my family as well but it's a great tool for you to one enlighten yourself for ideas that you hadn't thought of, but secondly, you can use the arguments in the book to argue with other people, persuade them against what is wrong. Well, let's go back to um, what King Sejong is concerned with. He's looking at the world around him, his kingdom, and he knows that things are not going well in a moral and spiritual way. So if you look at the, his, his timeline, his life, it's actually soon after that he starts to work on Hangul, the Korean alphabet. So it's not so that people can uh, 
become better farmers or to treat themselves with medicine that's useful. But if you look at the number of copies that are printed out of these of, of these texts, it's not meant for every single person to have because uh, not everybody could read it. Uh, furthermore, something like this, you could, since it's about physical reality, you can illustrate a little bit better. In any case, what will happen is that they will be disseminated. There'll be somebody there who can read Chinese. He'll read it to the people. They'll remember this, and then they will be able to um, practice using these methods. Um, so if you look at the timing of King Sejong's life, and if you also look at uh, the nature of um, the knowledge, it is actually more beneficial to have people read in order to cultivate the spirituality, but they can listen to other people talk about what farming techniques work, what, what doesn't. And that doesn't necessarily need to be embody, embodied in written language uh, because once you once you, once you learn these things and you practice them regularly um, there's not so much of a need to reference books so this is Sejong's primary concern and one day when we go through Korean history I'll go into more detail this is just a brief overview um, Joseon society, so Joseon again is the name of the dynasty for Korea at this time, in the 1400s when King Sejong is reigning. Joseon society is much better than society today. Whether we're looking at America, whether we're looking at South Korea, it's far better. If you look at Korea today, there's going to be a lot of similar problems because like I said, it is essentially the same situation as America, especially coastal America, especially places like California. So you look at the family, similar problems, except more excessive actually. People are not getting married. And if they do get married, they're getting married very late. There's a lot of divorce. There's a low birth rate. I think that eventually they'll be promoting, pressuring Korea to adopt immigration. But if you have all these people coming into a very tiny peninsula and the Koreans themselves are not having children, what are you really accomplishing there? Really you're saying that Korea is not really a, its own country, it's just a, a land that you can make money off of. You have control of Korea by a handful of very powerful companies. Samsung, LG, Hyundai. They control collectively Korean politics. There's precedent for this because these uh, companies are not surprisingly also controlled by families much in the same way that our big companies are also controlled by families or at least particular, particular individuals. Uh, you have a lot of this music and film and television that works similarly to Hollywood where there's a lot of nepotism, a lot of corruption, 
a lot of scandal. And the things that they produce slowly erode the culture. They promote things that lead to divorce. They promote things that lead to not having children, not desiring children. And uh, more, most significantly, the past is seen as shamefully backwards. That's true for both America and South Korea. So I want to end with a couple of points here. One is that if you don't have good relations, if you don't know how to carry on your relations with other people, there is no way that your society is going to do well. The more that individualism is promoted, and is promoted both in America and South Korea, the more that you promote individualism, the more that you promote ideology over character and virtue, the more your society will fall apart. It doesn't matter if you have the quote-unquote right answers. If you are a bad person, if you can't live up to your word, if you can't keep your promises, if you can't act faithfully from the center of your heart in your relations, it truly doesn't matter how much money you'll be able to make. It doesn't matter how strong your defenses are. It doesn't matter any of these material things. Your society is doomed to chaos. It will fall apart. The other thing I want to say here is that you don't want to simply believe what is out there. Whether we're talking about people, so-called experts about the past, whether we're talking about people who are promoting ideas right now, there are reasons that those people are put into control. There is no benevolence anymore. King Sejong, he didn't get to accomplish everything that he wanted. But nobody can doubt his sincere benevolence. Today, I don't think anybody in power, whether in an official position or simply by virtue of their wealth, has any true love for the multitudes.